Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. You've probably spotted that over recent weeks in this series that the range of financing options is becoming increasingly more diverse, niche and well decidedly alternative really. As a financial services guy by training or profession, I've been fascinated with the sheer variety that is open to us as property investors and developers, I can tell you. Early in the series, we discussed some of the institutional forms of property financing solutions, such as buy-to-let, bridging, finance and commercial loans. More recently, we've discussed what I have labelled alternative financing methods, such as peer-to-peer and crowdfunding, development finance and angel finance, amongst others. Today, we begin to blur the lines even further as we start migrating into more creative or hybrid financing methods. To some extent, we already did blur the lines, for example, with angel finance coming in the form of debt or equity or a combination, or the multi-layers of senior debt, equity, mezzanine, joint venture money and private funding that we discussed in the episode on development finance. So you can see how it's migrating, it's becoming like it's more complex and uh, decidedly more niche, as I mentioned. Well, today's discussion with Tor Portis from Develop With Us is another very interesting one, as he shares how we can work with existing land and property owners in partnership, along with other developers and investors as well, as he talks about two different forms of joint venture development finance. And he talks about how best to structure the deal and determine who does what with clear expectations, possible outcomes and exits, all discussed and documented. So let's have a listen to my rather excitable discussion with Tor now and uh, we'll draw some quick conclusions at the end. Hi again, everybody. Well, I'm very pleased to have another special guest with me again on the on the podcast this week, and I'm really enjoying this series because I'm getting to talk to so many interesting people uh, about so ma- so many different interesting topics. And today's no exception. Um, or today, yeah, today's no exception. Get it right. I've got Tor Portis on the phone uh, with me today. Uh, hi, Tor. How are you? Hi, Richard. Hello, everyone. Yeah, I'm well, thanks. And yourself? Yeah, I'm absolutely great. Thank you very much. And um, we could talk about a lot of things. In fact, we already have, haven't we, before we actually start, we hit record. But uh, yes. I think, yeah, but I think what I'd really like to sort of pick your brains on, if I could today, um, is about development joint ventures. And I know we can yeah. talk about a wide range of different sort of financing options. The series is all about alternative and creative financing and property. And um, when we spoke, this one really struck a chord with me. So, um, I, I, you know, perhaps you can set set the scene a little bit. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, and and, and why you know I, effectively I've got you in this seat in this chair as a subject matter expert. Why don't you just give us a quick uh, outline about yourself? Yeah, brilliant, Richard. So, yeah, hi everyone. So, I started investing when I was 19. So that's uh, about 18 years ago now. Um, in Australia, you know, using the conventional way of buying a property. So obviously I've come to the UK, been here about 10 years now, 
and been actively investing in London for the last seven. So have mainly used sort of alternative methods to finance deals and to actually, you know, get the deals across the line. Um, started off just after the recession doing vendor finance deals because it was obviously hard to get mortgages. So we got used vendor finance. And then as the market's sort of gone on and the, the market's gone up in the last few years, um, we've typically done joint ventures with sellers, but also investors, um, you know, to bring in equity for deals. So I've personally done over 40 deals so far and counting. And, um, you know, we've done a few more in our company. So crowd with us and develop with us. And that's where we're at today. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, we could talk about the crowdfunding side of it, but um, you, I don't know if you've been tuning in. You possibly haven't because I'm sure you're a busy man. But over the last couple of weeks, we've done a bit of peer-to-peer -peer and crowdfunding. And that's that's uh, one of the reasons why I was going to get into the whole development joint ventures piece. And in fact, why don't we just do that? Because before we got on air, we started to talk about the different angles, didn't we, of, uh, of development joint ventures. Um, yeah. Why don't you just sort of give us a bit of a snapshot into what those are and maybe how they fit into the overall, um, I can call it financing landscape because it's a kind of alternative form of financing uh, potentially on both sides. So why don't you just give us a bit of a lowdown on, on the different uh, flavors that we spoke about earlier? Yeah, no, that's right, Richard. So when someone talks about a joint venture, we, we would think of that in, in two different contexts. So one is a joint venture with the landowner or the property owner. So you as a developer, would come in with the finance, the funding, and you know the resource and the knowledge to develop a site, and then the landowner would stick the land or the property in, and that uh, constitutes a joint venture. So that's directly with the seller or the owner of the property. Um, the more sort of conventional joint venture for developers, you know, like yourself, Richard, like I'm sure everyone, you know, some of you guys who are listening and ourselves. We, we would typically bring in finance, so outside finance for the equity required to either buy a site or to buy it and or develop it, and we do a joint venture with the investors. Very succinct, actually, explanation. So, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, might, you know, th there'd be terminology like assisted sale and this sort of thing. So, in other words, partnering with a the landowner, they bring, they bring some skin in the game in, the ter in terms of the land. Um, so it would avoid necessarily purchasing that, and that could be a collaboration. But I think, yeah, um, yeah and then the, the alternative could be the, uh, as you said, the more conventional finance route. So um, you, in this case, or any joint venture partner, could bring money to a project that's viable and got some legs. So uh, we, we yeah. maybe keep that in mind as a discussion unfolds. There could, we could flip-flop between the two. But I guess the for the purpose of this conversation, we'll probably focus more on the second point, which would be the... Uh, joint venture finance um, angle. Um, yeah. Okay. So it, just talking about um, that side, we'll talk about either side, to be honest, but how does it work? How do development joint ventures work in general terms, certainly from your experience? Yeah. So you, you mentioned assisted sale, Richard, um, and, you know, there are various terms that are bantered about in the property world. So the contracts yep. we use, we do actually call them a joint venture. Um, so a joint venture is basically the, the contract is a legal framework which sets out who's going to do what and when by. And if you don't do that or one party doesn't do um, you know, what they're obliged to do under the joint venture, what happens in those cases. So 
you would typically have a, a framework of basically, um, Richard, I presume you want to talk about where, where you know, you or you're listening or us, we're going in as a developer and we bring in investors to finance a deal um, and talking about a joint venture in that context. Yeah. Yeah, so basically you would bring in, I mean, you, you mentioned that you've, and I've heard you talk about, um, you know, in recent discussions, uh, your podcast about peer-to-peer um, -peer finance and equity finance. So the, the benefit of doing um, a joint venture with investors is if the market turns or whatever, which incidentally it probably is right now, um, it's more secure for you as an investor not to be tied in to paying a fixed coupon on the money. Mm -hmm. Yep, so um, a coupon is basically an interest in lay sort of terms for, for everyone who's listening. So for example, if you... Uh, bring in investors and you say, right, you're going to promise to pay them 10% per annum. If for whatever reason bill costs um, go over budget and the market drops and you can't pay that 10% per annum, it, it's actually more advantageous to just do a joint venture with the investors as equity partners. So that means if the deal goes well, they might make 20% return mm -hmm. on their monies because they're getting you know, half of the profit from the deal, for instance, mm -hmm. and it might work out at those sort of returns. And then similarly, if the market turns, they'll get a lesser return, but that, that's better for you because you're not obliged to pay them a fixed return. Yeah, so you kind of, uh, you minimize uh, the downside, if you like, if the market turns against you by yes. having an equity sharing arrangement. But of course, you end up giving away a bigger slice of the pie um, either under normal circumstances or if the market goes goes ahead. But um, yeah, I can see where you're That's coming right. from. It protects the downside in case the market turns. I, I, you know, I talked I talk before we came on air about tangents and things, but you just talked about the market potentially turning. I can't let you, you know, <laughs> can't let you make a statement like that without sort of probing a little bit. I've got, I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say, but I'd be curious to know why, why you would say that. Why is the market turning right now? Yeah, I mean, we, we are selling properties ourselves. I'm sure, you know, you're on the market yourself, Richard. So, and for your listeners, we, we all can see what's happening if you're actively involved, you know, in the property game right now. Um, and the market has definitely slowed. So, you know, there, there's a lot of opinion out there as to why uh, things have slowed down and potentially where it's going. Um, we, we think that it was going to happen anyway, regardless of Brexit. Mm -hmm. um, but Brexit has happened. Uh, much to our surprise, incidentally, um, and we, we think that that's actually just compounding the uh, what was going to, you know, inevitably happen anyway. Because we've had such growth the last few years, it had to sort of slow down or, or top out, you know, eventually. Yeah, I mean, if you follow property cycles or any form of economic cycles, it, it's exactly that. It goes in a wave, it goes in a cycle, and I guess we were due for some sort of wobble. Um, yeah. I've, you know, we obviously had one. I'm sure it's still in people's memories, um, even though it was, what, 2008, 2009. Um, yes. You know, we've had a period of growth, obviously, since then. Um, yeah. And, you know, you've probably heard of this specifically, the 18-year property cycle. Um, yes, uh, and there, there are quite a few different cycles that, that's you know, right. depending on which analyst you listen to that they talk about, aren't they? <laughs> that's right. But but the, the bottom line is, yes, they get, things go in cycles and perhaps we're due for some sort of, you know, stabilization, correction, whatever language you want to use. But uh, Brexit hasn't helped, you're right. <laughs> yeah. And it was yeah, a surprise. I mean, 
Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's interesting times because the, the other, on the flip side, I mean, the market definitely has slowed down. So when we're appraising deals, and I'm sure when your listeners and when, you you know, we, we mentioned, you know, in, in our con you, you mentioned in our conversation that we have to be cautious when we're analysing deals in this market. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, you know, there's still a lot more demand than there is um, property. Yes, exactly. The fundamentals no. are still there, aren't they? So uh. Exactly. And finance, the cost of finance actually um, for buy-to-let sort of finance and owner-occupiers, you know, getting residential mortgages, you know, that I don't, I don't think it's ever been cheaper really, has it? No, no. It's, uh, it's one of the cheapest forms of finance you can get. Uh, and as you say, historically low uh, for quite some time. So, yep, there's a, a lot of drivers there which are pushing people into property and uh, the need for housing is very, very real. Let's see what yes. happens over the next, uh, I don't know, however long the fallout from Brexit takes. But certainly in the short term, it's going to take some time before that uh, demand dissipates anyway, I, I, I'm sure. The, yeah, um, yeah, not, yeah. Go ahead. Um, but sorry, I was going to say, Tor, um, just talking about where, you know, uh, development joint ventures, generally speaking, fits in. Do you think it's a, a big opportunity right now? And it, not necessarily right now, but perhaps in the, in the few years ahead? Yeah, definitely, Richard. I mean, as the market sort of has slowed down and turned, um, we started in the last recession, so we we know how to operate in this market. And I'm sure, you know, for, for many of your listeners, they'll be thinking the same thing, that if the market's slowing down, that it actually creates a lot of opportunity. Mm -hmm. So it's basically a time to be gearing up. So that's obviously why, you know, for any of your listeners who actively want to be buying, the key thing is to look at raising finance, you know, to get that cash lined up so that when you do find a deal, you know, you can execute and, and either exchange and do a joint venture or whatever you want to do or, or buy the property outright. Yeah, and I was talking to, I mean, it's a, it's a well-known, well-oiled phrase that, you know, banks will lend to you when you don't really need the money type of language. You know, um, if you can prove you don't need the loan, they'll give you it. <laughs> you know, So I think what, yeah. I'm, what I'm driving at there, of course, is that having um, access to alternative funding streams, funding routes, uh, as a property investor and property developer is, is a good thing. It's part of the point of this series, actually, is to yeah. make, make people aware of what else is out there. And I guess you provide one of those sources uh, of, uh, of funding, you know, alternative funding for developers. So um, We do, Richard, yeah. I mean, that's uh, it's sort of just been a progression of how we've done deals over the last few years. But increasingly, sort of more and more developers, you know, we're all in the same boat. We're all out looking for deals and we're all out looking for finance because mm -hmm. you need both to do the deals. And if you're doing enough deals, you eventually run out of your own cash. Yep. It yep. is a chicken so that's, egg, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yes. So that this is why we've, you know, gone off and built a fintech platform that's FCA regulated, you know, uh, crowd with us. Um you know, is to raise the equity finance that's needed for developers to do deals. Because so, there are a lot of lenders out there that do the 70%, you know, the senior debt. Yeah. Um, but no one really does the equity because, of course, that's the, the most at-risk money in a deal if things go pear-shaped. 
Well, I'm glad yeah. you. I'm glad you said. Well, I'm not glad you said the last bit because I was uh, thinking about what I was about to say. But you know, I was just glad yeah. you, you said the whole seventy thirty split. You know that uh, it's relatively straightforward. Uh, you know, certainly when you've got a tangible property um, to secure. You know, seventy seventy percent loan to value type of lending on on short term loans or, or long term loans from from financial institutions. But it's that it's that extra thirty percent. Not that's just the, the deposit on the property. And then of course you've got the cost of development works, etc. Fees that yes. need to go on top of that. And that's a big gap. And it can amount to quite a considerable. Uh, part of the overall project expenditure, couldn't it? So we're driving into some of the benefits, I guess, um, by talking about uh, somebody providing, you know, equity as well as debt finance. So m maybe you can help me elaborate that list a little bit. What what are the potential benefits to a property developer of having some form of joint venture arrangement? We kind of touched on a few already, but if we can get our shopping yes. list out, it'd be great. Yeah. So obviously, if you're a developer and you've got more deals on the table and you have cash, then obviously it's beneficial to team up with someone who can provide the equity to do the deals. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of developers, you know, Richard, you, we, we discussed this, a lot of developers will do this themselves and ra raise the finance, mm -hmm. um, but obviously it's time consuming, you know, and there's only so many hours in the day. Mm -hmm. So we have done and we're continuing to do and we're building the platform to assist developers by you know, spending the time to go out and raise that finance to bring into developers' deals and provide the equity for developers, you know, to keep keep doing deals. So basically provide the equity funding and reduce the time input in doing so, um, I guess. Yeah, and, yeah, because uh, it's time-consuming being yeah. a developer. It is time-consuming, you're absolutely right. Um, and, um, you know, it also, we'll come on to evaluation later, probably. But um, you know, there's there's a few frogs to kiss, like we were saying earlier. But uh, we'll come back to that maybe. Yeah. Yes. So, but I guess um, I've been talking a lot to you know to a lot of people who are operating finance in various forms, you know, to property investors and developers. And mm -hmm. uh, I call I use the phrase bankable, but you know, I use it in a very general sense. How do you get yourself ready? for investment of whether it's equity or debt or other forms. Uh, and I guess I you know, pose the same question for you, but more from a, if, if a developer is presenting themselves to a potential joint venture partner, i.e. someone with the money, how, you know, how would they, what's the best way to prepare themselves so that they, they got the best chance of success in raising that money, would you say? It's a good question. So obviously you want to, if you've got experience as a developer, you want to basically be able to show that very succinctly um, and transparently to any potential investors. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, I, property is all about sales. And we always use the adage that a good salesman never has to, you know, lie mm -hmm. or, you know, tell a mistruth. Because obviously you've got to sell the sizzle. But um, I find that the most successful method is just being transparent with your investors. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not that experienced, let them know. Um, if you're not that experienced, um, but you're also not confident enough to do the development yourself or bring in some outside experience, you know, with another developer or consultants or whoever you need um, to fill that gap um, and then present, you know, solid numbers. That, that, that's the biggest thing. So it's the numbers about how you're going to make the profit, um, you know, your contingencies, and also what's the security for your investor? How is their money secured against the property? 
Yeah, there's quite a few things in there, actually. Um, I'm, I'm scribbling down as well. Um, you're right. And it's sort of the exit strategy, or actually more than one, because, you know, in, you, invariably you need one, uh, more than one exit uh, from your deal. Yeah. So um, yeah. knowing your numbers and uh, providing contingencies in, th in case things go wrong. I quite like what you said about partnering up and uh, being transparent, even if you don't necessarily have the experience. This is, this is what I'm really interested in that because um, you can be a relatively inexperienced developer, but you can still take on a project by bringing in people who have the experience and still make it viable and still make it work for everybody. Would you say that's fair? Yes, I think so. And it's a case of also being fair. So, um, you know, we do joint ventures with, you know, sort of novice investors. Um, but we, we sort of get people coming to us with a name and a, a phone number sometimes and saying, right, we want 50% of the deal. So, you know, you just, we have to politely just educate people in, in that situation that, you know, there's more to just a phone number and an ad address. You know, the, the deal negotiation and the structure is a big part of yeah. how you make the money because you make the money on the day you buy, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it's tying up a good deal. But if you've managed to do that, that that's half the battle, then you've got to get the finance in and then do the development. So, you know, there are, you know, like you say, you can just bring in architects and builders, do a joint venture with a builder. Mm -hmm. Or um, if you're confident enough, we, we well, only on very large stuff. I mean, we're actually looking at a joint venture with a developer in Whitechapel where he gets a, a basically a, a fixed return. Um, so he doesn't have to worry about you know, building in a margin and contingencies for materials and labour because, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's probably uh, about 5 million GDV. Mm -hmm. So obviously if he's doing that on a fixed price, well, he's going to work in a few hundred grand as a contingency, a buffer. Yeah. So on that one, we're confident enough with the materials and the labour, how much that's going to cost, and we'll just pay him a fixed management fee. Um, and in that joint venture with him, um, you know, we'll say, look, um, you're basically working on this site um, and we'll, we'll allow for two, him to run two other sites with it, which will be sort of, you know, that's sort of maxed out in terms of his time mm -hmm. and how he could commit to each deal. So would, it, would so he be does. charging? Sorry, sorry, Tor. Yeah, I've sort of gone off on a tangent there. No, but no, we basically no. give them a, a fixed management fee to manage the deal as the builder, the main contractor. Yeah. And would he would in that example, for example, would they would he be charging cost of you know cost of materials and labour, and then just take a management fee as his profit effectively? Yeah, so he he will have a fixed management fee. Let's just say, for argument's sake, it's a hundred grand. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm just using that as a simple number. Yeah. Um, and then he would simply pass on the cost of materials. You know, so we'd run all that through our accounts, and the cost of labour, he'd simply pass that on, and we we would pay the invoices. So generally speaking, you mentioned a couple of uh, you know opportunities or projects already, but what, what sort of things are crossing your desk as development joint venture opportunities? What types of projects are out there at the moment that would lend themselves particularly to this type of solution? Yeah, so I mean the benefit of doing joint ventures is you, it's obviously the benefit of scale. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're not as sort of bolshy as some other developers who've, you know, really made um, some massive success in, in the last few years. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we've sort of taken the cautious and steady approach. 
because we don't need to go bankrupt to learn, you know, lessons in this development <laughs> sort of um, sort of landscape. We, we want to be cautious, and it's all about risk mitigation. So the the types of deals that we're seeing right now, which really seem to, um, you know, the, the the risk is mitigated to the max, and the, the profit is leveraged for the amount of cash we're putting in. They're typically joint ventures with landowners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're landowners that actually want to keep some of the properties. Right. So you're seeing yeah, a lot so of that, a lot of people who who are sitting on the land themselves. They perhaps don't have the either the finance or the capability to develop, you know, that opportunity. And they'll partner with you. They'll bring in the land. You'll bring in the, the money, maybe the expertise to get it delivered. Would that that be fair? Yeah, and they're actually quite savvy people usually. So, yeah. you know, if they're sitting on land that's worth, you know, two to five million, um, it sort of hasn't landed on their lap through chance. They're usually savvy business people, yeah. you know, who've grafted away um, and they've ended up with property that's quite valuable, but they, they generally don't have the, the time or, or and or the inclination uh, and, and sometimes the cash, they don't have that either, you know, liquid cash mm-hmm. to actually do the development. So, so that poses a great opportunity for you know for you know for your listeners for uh, yeah. as developers. And what about the whole you know conversions type of landscape? Because uh, you know a, a ground up development, i.e., building new stuff on existing land, that kind of fits a little bit into the example you just given. But what about converting brownfield site, office space, this sort of thing? Are you seeing a lot of uh, interest in that area? Yeah, we. I've got colleagues who've done a lot of that. Um, I think it sort of worked well three or four years ago, you mm-hmm. know, before it became sort of a well-known sort of angle to mm-hmm. do developments. But it seems to have sort of been maxed out, and it's very competitive in that space right now, mm-hmm. or it certainly has been up until you know now and sort of pre-Brexit. Yeah. So because it, it's more sort of straightforward, whereas if you need to go for planning and, you know, really think about how to structure the deal and, and the design, you know, and max out how many units, you know, the massing on the site, mm-hmm. then there tends to be more upside in those deals because they're less straightforward. Um, and also if the owners want to retain sort of most of the site or all of it if they could, then that's sort of an angle that most developers wouldn't be used to approaching. Yeah, I kind of get that makes a lot of sense, you know, that um – the land or landowner could still have an ongoing interest um, potentially in the project. Uh, doesn't have to yeah. sell it and give it all away. And, and, and you also, I mean, I, talking of tangents, you know, when you said something earlier about people are ten, tend to who've got this sort of land available or this sort of property available at their disposal, they're usually quite savvy people. I guess by definition, they're also high net worth people too. Um, and you know that takes me into is it this la- oh, it's a bit of a leading question tour to be honest but i guess the you know you you are in the landscape of the uh, the high net worth and sophisticated investor uh, more so are you with this type of uh, arrangement you are and sort of people um sometimes think that it's harder to do deals with people you know got you know um sort of higher net worth um or you know more assets, but we, we find that actually people who are doing well, they understand that, you know, you're, as a developer, you're a business as well and you need to make money. Mm-hmm. So it's, sometimes it's actually a lot easier to sit around the table and, and strike a deal that's mutually beneficial for both parties. That's right. 
but yeah. it does it does you know draw me a little bit into the sort of uh, maybe the downside risks with you know of, of this type of opportunity um we, we i've been speaking you know with other people as i mentioned and i'm sure you're aware you know with anything to do with finance in property there are risks you know you already we, you've already mentioned a couple as we've been talking for example if yes. uh, if you you've lumped with a fixed coupon or fixed rate of interest in a downturn um, that kind of thing. But what would you say would be the potential uh, downsides to watch out for with uh, development joint ventures? Uh, well, obviously, one of the obvious risks is the market, you know, and the end value, the GD gross development value of the site. Mm -hmm. So that, that's an obvious risk. So in uh, the deal appraisal and the structure, you need to work that in, you know, what happens if the, pro you know, if the exit is to sell the properties um, at a certain margin, if you can't sell the properties at that price, is there a secondary exit? Mm -hmm. So that, that's obviously a risk to manage. Um, and an obvious way to get around that is to be able to have, you know, instead of one-year money or two-year money, have five-year money in the deal mm -hmm. where everyone's of the understanding that if we don't achieve a certain um, return, that the properties get rented and get sold at a future date when it hits that trigger value. Mm -hmm. Everyone, so that that's an obvious risk, and then I think probably the next biggest risk is um, not meeting people's expectations. Go on. You know, so that could be investor partners, or if you're doing a joint venture with the landowner, you, you don't want to be in a situation where you haven't met someone's expectation. Which obviously stems from setting the setting the right or agreeing on the right expect set of expectations right at the beginning, doesn't it? It, it does, and I think that's where the transparency comes, uh, you know, really comes into play. Is just being open and upfront with people at the start, and, and not you know leading people up the garden path in terms of ramping up their expectations for something that's unrealistic to achieve. Mm -hmm. So we, we tend to use the conservative approach where we say, look, this is. Um, the, the the sort of conservative level that we're looking to achieve because it's pretty much guaranteed mm -hmm. and you can't say guaranteed of course but you yeah. know sort of 99.9% certain that we'll get this because of all of the planning constraints or whatever constraints you're working with mm -hmm. but then you say look this is the potential upside and that's what we're aiming to get yes so have a, go yeah. on sorry sorry to carry on yeah, so, but it's clearly illustrated and outlined in your joint venture contract that that's what you're aiming for, but worst case scenario, this is what you um, potentially would be left with if, if you didn't, you know, get that best case scenario or it's going to be somewhere in between. You know, you've, you've made a lot of good points. I think uh, I definitely agree. We've talked about transparency and good salespeople don't have to lie and, you know, be, uh, you know, open and uh, about what you're aiming to achieve and have uh, alternative exits, have uh, different scenarios if it goes well, if it doesn't go so well. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of ethics, actually, in, in what you've been speaking about. And um, I think in a, in a landscape where sometimes ethics are, can be thin on the ground what yes I'm, I'm, you know we, we haven't had a long conversation about this but it strikes me that that's important you see that as very important an important ingredient in certain, certainly in terms of developing uh, long-term successful partnerships in in this type of venture is that am i right in thinking that yeah 100 percent. i mean i think we alluded you know you, you mentioned something in the conversation we had offline richard that you know you know, you want, it's this is a people game. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with property, but it's really a people game. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you can do a good deed 
by someone or with someone, then that will lead on to more business. And um, it's, we've we've had a lot of sellers where we've done joint ventures with sellers, or you know we've taken options to buy properties or whatever. Um, got the outcome that we sort of were setting out to achieve for the sellers and then they come on as joint venture partners or angel investors in future deals. So, you know, I mean that's a brilliant um, sort of result, you know, to aim for. Yeah, because I think, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I might be at risk of taking us down a tangent here, but I, I think it's a long-term game and, and there aren't, you know, there are lots of people with money around, but, you know, if you don't nurture them uh, nurture the relationship deliver on your promises you know all of that you know demonstrate good values and ethics in the way you operate you probably won't deal with them beyond the first opportunity if 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 you don't if you don't look after them you might not even get to the yeah. first opportunity of course if you don't display some of these characteristics but of course yeah. if you do and you know you deliver on what you say and even if you know let's face it things can also go wrong but if yes. you, if the way you tackle the things that goes wrong um, you know, is is transparent and ethical, and you know the open communication, etc. Chances are that you're going to get a lot of respect, and you're going to get a lot of repeat, um, you know, business with them, as you kind of alluded to. So exactly, uh, yeah. So and word of mouth is the the best form of marketing, you know, because if you've got repeat business, and you know your previous clients are, are selling the virtues of working with you, then you know you, you less resources need to go into marketing, you know, to raise finance and find more deals, which are the the two big things that all developers are doing constantly. Yeah, and we're going to talk about resources in a second because um, I think there's something interesting there that maybe we could talk about. But maybe maybe before that, I just wanted to ask: is that is there anything I haven't asked you that you you you're thinking to yourself, Richard? I think you know, I wish you'd have asked me this question. This is like so relevant, it's burning in my head. <laughs> is there anything like that right now you want to get out there? There might not be, by the way. Um, <laughs> well, I think um, there's a lot of uncertainty in the market right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the smart money has probably anticipated this, you know, the large investors. Um, it's probably been on the cards for the last year or two. Um, and there are going to be some great opportunities out there. So it's basically, you know, time to get ready to capitalize, um, you know, to basically do some great deals, but also to be cautious because the finance world is changing, although the interest rates are quite cheap. Um, there is talk of, you know, the, um, the deposits that are needed for buy-to-let mortgages being quite significant in the next year or two. This is just what I've heard from brokers that we're speaking to who speak to the banks. Oh, there's definitely a tightening up, uh, certainly in, uh, you know, conventional buy-to-letters now, I think with uh, affordability checks coming in and uh, the, uh, the, the the rent coverage percentage is going to be increased, the stress testing level is going to be increased, and it, it all points towards, um, you know, a, a stricter regime for, for yes. lending. Um, but I'm wondering if that, you know, therefore suggests that, you know, development is a better avenue. Yeah, potentially, um, so long as the numbers are right. I mean, if if a developer is working on 20% margins on today's values, I think that could be, um, it might not be enough. Yeah. Because if the market does turn, it, it has slowed down already. And if you need to get stuff shifted, then the only way to, to shift it is to drop the price. 
Yeah, I think so, a, lot of, um, a lot of people lose sight of this. They think twenty percent is a pretty decent margin, but as you rightly say, um, you can be in a you can be in a development for you know a couple of years. So yeah. um, you know, to some extent, and it could turn against you, and twenty percent can be gobbled up quite quickly. Yes, yeah, you know, the, the cost of your senior finance, your senior debt, um, that that sort of can rack up quite quickly. So you, you don't want to be hanging on to properties, and unless you've got some long term finance in there as a backup. Yeah. So, but be, you know, as Buffett says, you know, be I don't know which way around he said it off the top of my head, but uh, greedy when others are fearful, and fearful when others are greedy. That's right. <laughs> uh, yes. So, but you're saying it's an it's an time for opportunity. The uncertainty exactly. presents itself for a time of opportunity, providing you have a conservative type of approach. Yeah. Yeah. When all the amateur investors are running for the hills, well, that's time to go down and and you know start doing more deals, like Warren Buffett says. Fair enough. Sounds good to me. Who my business partner has met on a couple of occasions, actually. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So, thanks for that little, uh, you know, anecdote of where you see the market. It's been really fascinating. Um, I guess you know what I tend to ask, you know, some of our subject matter experts, of course, like yourself, Tor, is um, if there's anything special or unique, some kind of offer that maybe you could make available to listeners of the Property Voice. Is is there anything in that regard that that uh, you have in mind? Yeah, so as we uh, mentioned earlier, Richard, we don't sort of have any sort of salesy brochures or anything like that um, or sort of information on things. So it's all on our website, what we do. But in terms of if you're, uh, one of your listeners is um, or some of your listeners are sort of, you know, not sort of massively experienced in terms of property development, then we, we have a very systematic way of appraising a deal. So, you know, if one of your listeners has a prospective lead that they're looking to do themselves, we're quite happy to run, you know, through the numbers and do a five-minute desktop appraisal. So that's basically looking at your, your um, it's sort of a reverse engineering method which most developers use. So you look at your gross development value of what you expect to achieve, your development cost, which is the cost of developing the site, obviously, then you've got your deal cost, which we sort of break down separately to development costs, and that's typically, you know, your stamp duty, your finance, which is the biggest one, and then your entry uh, cost into the deal, you know, your legals, it's insurance, etc., and then your exit cost, which the main one is your estate agent's costs and your uh, exit of the finance if there's a redemption penalty there. Mm -hmm. um, and then you obviously work out your profit margin that you need or you're comfortable with, and then uh, looking at all of that, you end up with your residual land value, which is the amount that you're, um, you know, you would willingly pay for the land or the property to do a viable deal. So yeah, and we can send the spreadsheet off to, uh, you know, any of your listeners and and run through it. As I mentioned, it's, it probably wouldn't make much sense if we just sent them the spreadsheet because Sachin, our guy who analyzes all the leads, he's an ex-banker um, and he's a bit of a master on spreadsheets, so they can be a little confusing on the, the bigger ones, but the five-minute desktop is straightforward and it basically enables you to analyze a deal in five to ten minutes. That's great. So basically, I guess what you said there is you've got a, a spreadsheet which is which allow uh, any you know would-be developer to appraise a site, uh, but equally, if I understood what you were saying correctly, that you, you would help sit alongside them to guide them through that process. Is that right? Yeah, we'd run through them, yeah. uh, with, run through the, the, the analysis with, you know, your listener, 
um, who's analysing their, their lead or their deal if, if they think they're going to go and buy it. Um, and as I mentioned to you before, we, we have an in-house programmer who, you know, we employ full-time, you know, to build the, the fintech platform for Crowd With Us. He's um, developed some, basically we, we use APIs, mm -hmm. you know, to um, pull down land registry data. So if we've got the address and we know the type of property or properties that we're going to be building, you know, it could be houses, then we'll run a search within a quarter of a mile radius of the house um, to pull down all of the sold prices within the last 12 months. So that used to take us hours, you know, probably three to four hours to go after right move, you know, home track, Zoopla, you know, find a property and land registry has some data there. Um, that, that takes us about five minutes now. Very good. Well, um, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people find that valuable. And um, so it's probably the natural question is to how, how can people get in touch with you at all? What's the best way for people to get hold of this uh, spreadsheet and, and start talking to you about some uh, maybe joint venture development opportunities? Yeah, so uh, our website, Richard, is the easiest way. So it's developwithus.london. And our phone number, emails, etc. is there. Um, that's the easiest way to get in touch. So it's developwithus.london. Yes. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I, prob I guess there is the crowdfunding one. Do you want to just mention it just in case people have got an interest in that? Yeah, if people are interested, we're actually still building that. So we've spent ah. a lot of money on it. Uh, but it, it's crowdwithus.london. Crowdwithus.london. So and we're just sort of working with a principal firm right now to get some interim permission before we apply for our own. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we have a lot of offline investors. That's how uh, we've traditionally funded deals, and we're still doing that. But we're looking to use tech to to bring all of that online and you know systemize and optimize it. That's brilliant. So developerthus.london, uh, um, the offer of the uh, desktop appraisal uh, development spreadsheet and maybe a little bit of guidance along the way and even potentially, I suppose, uh, uh, partnering up on a potential de de development uh, opportunity. So it's quite a lot there, isn't there? <laughs> I think. For, yeah. I mean, we always love to share information and help people do their own deals. But, you know, if, um, you know, you never know where things go and you sometimes end up doing a deal with people. So Exactly. Well, that's it. I think it's about uh, reciprocity, um, you know, giving in and you get back. So uh, thanks for, for your giving today. I appreciate it, Tor. It's been really good to talk to you, uh, both during the formal interview process and obviously beforehand as well. And I hope we carry on talking afterwards. It's been very interesting, very fascinating. Yeah, likewise, Richard. Thank you for putting in the time. And I, I think it's great what you do. You know, you're providing valuable content to your listeners. And I'm sure everyone's very appreciative. Uh, thank you very much for that final note. I shall definitely make sure that stays in the edit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Tor, uh, and I'll speak to you soon. You take care. Brilliant, Richard. Thanks for that. Thanks, everyone. Well, as Tor mentioned, to uh, receive a copy of the development site appraisal model or spreadsheet, and indeed an offer to be guided through it on a real opportunity, just pop over to their website, uh, developwithus.london, and if you put slash contact, that'll help you get in touch with them. Just mention the property voice when asking to receive a copy of the development appraisal spreadsheet, and they'll know where you came from. And I really enjoyed the discussion with Tor, as it was uh, clear that he has an alternative approach to doing deals, rather than just the more conventional one. 
joint ventures with land and property owners and partnering with existing developers to provide much needed equity as well as debt finance being just some of the angles he mentioned during the uh, during his discussion and his particular brand of development joint ventures there was a, a lot of ethics that came out in our discussion as well which i won't labor here too much however it's extremely relevant i think as joint venture partners are not like London buses, unfortunately, with two a minute turning up. And this means that we need to act with integrity and transparency, exactly as Tor said. And, and this not, not only helps to convince at the outset, but can also help to ensure an enduring and repeating business relationship several projects as well. I also appreciated Tor's conservative approach. <laughs> in fact, Damien and I were just laughing at how miserable we are when it comes to projecting end values on projects just before I, I recorded this, in fact. Miserable could also be translated as conservative, and so that means protecting the downside when it comes to doing a development appraisal, which is doubly important when working with a joint venture partner and their funds. And, and this might not be the last time we talk about joint ventures in this series. However, I'm sure you found the discussion to be very worthwhile. And uh, if you find yourself in a position of wanting to scale or alternatively having more deals than your funding allows, then joint ventures are certainly going to be an appealing topic for you to consider. And it seems to me that this series has been one that you've enjoyed the most, certainly judging by the download numbers that I've been seeing as well. Would that be right? Well, if it is, then please just do me one small favor, would you? Just pop over to iTunes right now, right this minute, and leave a nice little review for the show, would you? You know I don't talk about it very often, but it does really help to spread the word out, and it'd be great if you could do that. But even if you don't, just take a look at the review left by left there by Pontis Valter, which pretty much made my year, I can tell you. And that certainly helps to keep me going, I can tell you. So even if you don't want to get, you know, spread the word to other people in the property community, at least make me feel good by leaving a review. That would be most welcome, I can assure you. One final thing before I go today. Damien and I are running a property business planning workshop in London on the 26th of November this year. That's 2016. So if you're listening 2017, sorry, we already did it. But we're sharing over 30 years of experience for the benefit of uh, your property business in just one afternoon. And there's a link in the show notes with the full details of the event. I won't go into it in full detail now, but tickets are very limited. And as the event is being run on a cost recovery basis only, we do expect it to sell out quite fast. And we'll be walking through our property business planning tools and templates with the aim of making your next year in property the best one yet. So an opportunity for peer-to-peer -peer interaction and also coaching from us, as well as going through some pretty decent tools, I have to say. And if nothing else, uh, you can meet us face-to-face -face and have a bit of a laugh, because after the event, we're going to be uh, a little bit sociable and we're going to join in a bit of a happy hour uh, drink session as well. But uh, it's, it's probably only an hour because uh, that's probably all I can take these days. So if you fancy coming along to say hi, sign up for the workshop and uh, we'll do that afterwards. But as always, uh, do email me personally if you want to talk about anything from today's show or for more information on the workshop I just mentioned or more generally in property investing. The email address is podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. And as ever, the show notes are also at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. Now, though, of course, all that remains to say is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. 
Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.